Amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, that's a good intro. So I'm, uh, I'm always just real struck when I get to be here. And I'm super, super thankful that y'all, uh, y'all in general, like all the people in this denomination specifically who have seen a, uh, saw a young man come in to their congregation and uh, just need every kind of help that there was. I didn't know how to live my life. I didn't know how to raise my kids. My marriage had broke apart. It wasn't even, we weren't even married and we broke apart. My life was, I had thrown it away. And Jesus is the story for me of what it means that he can restore all that the locusts have eaten. And so every time I I get to, to stand before people and preach, it strikes me a little bit like, I don't even know why I'm here, man. Somebody would typically have probably come visit me behind bars to preach me the gospel, and yet here I am. So, yes, thank you, Jesus. This is a special day. Um, I was driving here today, (laughs) and um, speaking of communities, I was driving here today and I was thinking, man, you know, the number one thing you want to do when you're preaching is you want to look okay, right? Like, (laughs) is that not true? That's the most, like, that's no, I've learned that in class. Don't tell them. Oh, this is probably recorded. They're going to find it. Um, and so I'm driving and I'm looking in the mirror and I was, I did one of these and I swear to you, like an entire kind bar worth of crumbs fell out of, (laughs) fell out of my beard. And I had just eaten a kind bar. I thought, man, I thought I ate that kind bar, but apparently I missed the entire thing. And so I always judge a, uh, a friendship by if people will tell you if you got something in your beard or on your face or in your nose. If they'll tell you, they love you. If they won't tell you, I don't know what's wrong with them. Um, <laughs> turn with me to uh, Romans 8. If you got a Bible, open it up. Romans 8, 18. And while you do that, it's somewhere between the Gospels and the book of Galatians. And you'll find Romans, Right? And so, if you've hit Galatians, you've gone too far. If you're at Matthew, you need to keep going. Um, So, we're going to talk about some heavy stuff today, and I think you were well set up with the worship so far, and I think the Spirit is here, and I'm hoping and praying that the the words of my mouth are kind in the the way that you receive them. But we're going to talk about suffering and glory today. And I want you to think about, as we're about to read this text, what, what pictures come to your mind and what comes to your imagination when, when you think of suffering? What is that for you? What's that, that thing that sticks up? Is it something that you wish that you could run away from? Is it something that you've never addressed? Is it something that no matter how hard you try, it won't go away? Um, what are those things? And then I want you to think about the word glory. And I want you to think in your mind as we're reading this, which one do you naturally hold as bigger? Which one is more dominant when you think of the two? The suffering that you've experienced or the glory that's coming? Because my hope is today is that Paul will help us and the Spirit of God will help us shift and that we'll have that in right perspective by the end. 
That's the hope. Uh, So let's read the text here. Let me read it for you and then we'll pray. Romans 8, 18 through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me pray for us. Father, open our eyes to see the glory of the Son of God, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the hope of all humanity and all who trust in him. Help us to flee and run away from all of the vain things that we hold on to to save us, Lord, and to cling to Jesus' feet and knowing that he holds us closer than we could ever hold him. Give us humility in our hearts and open up our, our heart and our mind to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys ever watched a strongman competition? And I'm not talking about the dudes who are all greased up and ripped. I'm talking about those big dudes. I can't even do it. I mean, I'm pretty, but I'm not that big, you know? Like the guys who pick up beer kegs and they're like, and they throw it over a thing and they pull a train with their face or what? I don't even know what it is that they do. But these guys are mad. They're like mountains with legs. No neck, just kind of, ooh. I want you to think about that guy for a second, right? And I want you to envision in your mind that he has a little, maybe a six-year-old daughter, right? And she comes up to him and she says, you know, Daddy, I want to watch you work out. And you know, anybody who likes lifting weights, that's gold. You're like, well, I'm about to do that for you right now. And so imagine this guy and his young uh, daughter go to the gym and uh, they they walk in and she's kind of looking around and he's getting his weights ready and he's picking up his big thing or whatever. And and she spots over in the corner this tiny little teenager. Maybe it's his first time at the gym. And he's sitting on the bench and he's got his little fives. Maybe he's got tens. He's got his tens and he's just sweating, pimples. He's just going, right? Now imagine the daughter 
tapping her dad on the leg, the strong man, right? Tapping him on the leg and saying, Dad, look, he's strong like you. Well, that just ruined my workout, right? If I'm him, I'm like, well, there's no point in lifting these heavy ones. Think about that. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that, that perspective that she has there? Why does she have that perspective? How could she possibly be fooled into thinking that the scrawny little teenager pumping these little fives is strong like her daddy? We often have this same perspective. You see, the issue is, is that to her, to her, the teenager is strong, but not to her dad. And we have this perspective often in suffering. We view it from the eyes of the six-year-old, and we think that is an insurmountable force. But what we really have to do is learn to see it through the eyes of our Father. And with that perspective change, everything changes. So, according to the Apostle Paul, suffering is unworthy compared to glory. But suffering seems to be so great sometimes, it can be hard to believe that this is true. And we are all tempted to see suffering as greater than the glory that God has promised. And we, like the strong man's daughter, need a perspective change. So when Romans was written by Paul, he's writing to a church in Rome, they have a great deal in common with us, and actually in more so even suffering than we have. Um, They were in constant threat of suffering. They were a community of Jews and Gentiles, and they were a minority of people. They had no power. They had no political influence. They couldn't pass laws to make things be the way they wanted them to to be. They had zero standing in the community. And even more, they were attempting this kind of community in the capital city of the Roman Empire, right? So it's not that they're just in the Roman conquered lands, it's that they're in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And they are a threat to the Romans because they worship Jesus. And they're hated by their Jewish brothers because they worship Jesus. And because they've brought together Jew and Gentile, and that is an utter offense. Because Jews and Gentiles have nothing in common. They need help, and so do we. And the good news is this, because God's promise of future glory, because of this promise... We must endure even while we suffer today. But in order for that to happen, in order for that perspective change to happen, we need to reshape how we think about suffering so that we can see it as unworthy. So here's your first point. First, we have to take, we must take it, suffering seriously. Look at me with the words of Paul uses to describe the suffering we experience. 
He explains the impact is on the whole creation, not just us, but everything is affected. And he uses what I call the sevenfold suffering of all creation, subjection, bondage, corruption, waiting, longing, groaning, futility. We're going to look at the first three, subjection, bondage, corruption. Notice he says here in verse 20 and 21, he says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption, being subjected to or bound or chained. It gives us the picturing that suffering and sin are something like slavery or being prisoners. We are no longer in control. Our freedom's been taken away. We are now subject to something that does not have our best interest in mind. When you hear the words subjection and bondage, it might bring to your mind thoughts of our nation's history. Maybe it brings the long legacy of slavery throughout the ancient and even still modern world, since everywhere. And I believe that Paul is using this vivid and sad term to bring light to the fact that subjugation and bondage is not the way God designed this world to be. These kinds of horrific ways of life are linked to the fallen nature of our world and the sin within the hearts of humanity. And there is a very real sense in which the suffering we experience is done to us. Even more so sometimes than done by us. We are often the victims of suffering in this world. Poverty, abuse, disease, natural disasters, war. Those are all often pressed upon us and something that we do not choose. They are weights that cannot be carried by us and they feel crushing. But what does Paul say that we are bound to? Verse 21, he says, creation itself will be set free from the bondage to our corruption. This word could be more vividly stated as decay. We are subjected and bound to the breaking down and the unraveling of life. All of the things that we build up seem to fall. All the relationships that we have seem to break at some point. The jobs that we make, the work of our hands withers and dies. Death. The one fact that seems to crouch behind every good memory, every loving embrace and every attempt to deny it falls short. Every attempt to avoid its cruel grip is found wanting. Bound subjected to decay, to the unraveling of all that we love. This leads to the next three descriptive words, waiting, longing, groaning. The text tells us that all creation is waiting and longing and groaning. 
And that makes sense in this progression of thought because being bound and being made subject to decay, all that we have worked for being taken away from us, loved ones being stripped from us, and the feeling that there is nothing that we can do about it, you're powerless against this enemy, right? That's what it feels like. You are forced to wait and to long. Read through the Psalms and and hear this phrase, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And this is where the final word in the three comes up, groan. Because when you are forced to wait and to long for long enough, a groan seems to be the last resort. A groan is this deep, guttural, just overflow from the despair of a broken spirit. It's all that we can do when it's obvious that there is nothing that we can do. We groan. And that leads to the final word, futility. In the Greek Old Testament, called the Septuagint, when they translated the book Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's the same word, futility. Isn't that really one of our deepest fears when we suffer? That it's really all for nothing? That some doubt creeps into our mind if this is actually ever going to pan out for anything but the despair that it's brought? that there's no day of justice, that there's no day of healing, no life for the dead, no sight for the blind, no ears for the deaf, futility. And I think Paul borrows a word picture from Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26 says this, as a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near to the time of her delivery. So we've been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. It was nothing. We were in pain and we suffered and we hurt and it brought forth wind. In the scriptures, this kind of suffering of God's people is like the suffering endured in childbirth. It comes upon us suddenly, unexpectedly even. Severity and pain and the glory of childbirth is that it's bringing forth a beautiful child. And that makes all the suffering seem to fade away in the light of this amazing life that's been brought forth. But notice that Isaiah says this gut-riching thing, that all of this suffering, all of this laboring and pain brought forth wind. Paul speaks about the suffering of creation with a similar metaphor. Look in 22, he says, 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Just like those first century Roman Christians, your suffering can feel like it's too much to bear. We can even mistake it for being meaningless and being uncertain how anything good could come come out of it at all. But that's not where this ends. We can endure the suffering of this present time because God has promised us glory to come. The very fact that we have this in common with the Roman Christians is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means that death does not have the final say. It means that the unraveling of everything is not the end. Suffering and pain have an expiration date, but glory and joy are everlasting. Jesus has given us his spirit as a sign of the completion of this promise. And that leads us to point two. You got to behold glory. The pain of child labor and suffering in our lives is bringing forth glory. Here now Isaiah complete this prophecy that he says in 26. He says in verse 19, your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise, awake, and sing, you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs. The earth shall give birth to its dead. The earth shall give birth to its dead. Now, isn't that exactly what Paul is talking about here? The revealing of the sons of God, verse 19, that word revealing might be familiar to you if you heard its Greek word, apocalypse. The revealing, the shedding of of the veil. We see suffering and we see death and we see the unraveling, but God says there's going to be a day where I take that out the way and you're going to see something that you didn't know existed the revealing of the sons of God, the great day of the Lord prophesied in the apocalypse book written with its same name, the throne of God will be seen and earth and heaven will flee away from his presence. Believe that? Earth and heaven will flee the presence of God. Or as Psalm 78 says it like this, then the Lord awoke as from his sleep, like a strong man shouting because of his wine, he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. The glorious liberty of the children of God. Do you know who your father is? Do you know that when he stands up, Death and misery and suffering run. They're not going to escape. For there is no place for them. The children of God, the adoption, verse 23, we are the children of the strong man. And when the strong man rises up to take his stand, 
death and sin will be no more. And our bodies will be risen from the dust. Look in verse 23. We await the adoption of as sons paralleled the redemption of our bodies. We await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The earth will give birth to its dead. Awake and sing. This is God's promise to you. This is God's everlasting love for his people. This is why Paul says it's an unworthy comparison. Children, open up your eyes. The strong man lives. And he is our father. We are his children. No more groaning. No more waiting. No more longing. Disease, violence, oppression, all of it, no more. And he says, for in this hope we are saved. Verse 24. Now if you're like me, I hear some of you say, yeah, preacher, that's a beautiful future. But what about now? What about right now? Because I can't bear up one more moment underneath the pain and the affliction that I experience. What does God have to do with me today? And Paul, I believe, sensing this very objection, he gives us a brief discourse on hope. Because he knows that this is true. He says, Verse 24, now hope that is seen is not hope. That's why we call it hope, family. For we hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. And this leads to our final point. We must be strengthened by the Spirit. Look at me at verse Look with me at verse 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. It starts with an interesting word, and in Greek it seems very passing. Os autos. And that means likewise. But the thing I want you to think of is what is he saying here? He means just like these. Who are the these? The these that the Spirit is with. It's you. It's the suffering of creation. He says, likewise, just like these, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Do you hear That just like us, the Spirit of God is enduring this suffering as well. He's helping us in our weakness. When we are so hurt and we are so overwhelmed that we don't even know what to say. Verse 26 tells us the Spirit himself intercedes 
for us with groaning too deep for words. That means that when you are too spent to even groan anymore, the Spirit keeps on groaning so deeply that words can't even express what he's saying on your behalf. He's interceding for us. Family, he's interceding for you. Whatever it is that you're going through that you feel you can't take one more step, the Spirit groans for you. And it says, He who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is saying that the one who searches the mind of God and man speaks for us to God on our behalf. Paul says it clearly in 2 Corinthians. He says, we do not suffer alone. Jesus is with us. He says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit searches the depths of God. And it's that same interceding Spirit that is within you, pleading your behalf and helping you understand the will of God. So, how did we ever come to get such a precious gift? Because the Spirit of God is said to be a gift to us. The groaning and suffering Spirit with us. Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God is a gift given to those who have put their faith in the death and the resurrection of the Son of God. Jesus. Acts chapter 2 says this, Peter the apostle says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll give them to you. Repent means to turn. Whatever thing you've been clinging on to to save you, Jesus says, let it go and turn to me. And I will give you the groaning and longing and enduring and strengthening Holy Spirit. And he will carry you through to the day of glory. Maybe today you're ready for that perspective change. Maybe you've been hurt and afflicted. Maybe you've been mad at God. Maybe you came here today saying, it's my last Sunday. Maybe by the power of God, you are now seeing this beautiful hope and our suffering Savior and his spirit that longs within us. And you say, I want that. I need that. Because I'm not going to make it if I don't have that. Maybe your heart's longing for the hope described in this text, the hope that outweighs all suffering. Is that you today? Jesus says, come. The gift is free. No matter what you've done or no matter what has been done to you, 
and I want to take that seriously. Don't suffer alone one more second. There is glory everlasting in Jesus' name. And his spirit endures and strengthens and groans for us until the day of glory. Hear the promise sung in the hymn, Be Still My Soul. Be still my soul when dearest friends depart, when all is darkened in the veil of tears. Then you will better know his love, his heart, who comes to soothe your sorrows and your fears. Be still my soul, your Jesus can repay. From his own fullness all he takes away. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me pray. Father, open up our eyes to see it. Those who need counsel, those who need strength, Lord, let them find it here in this community of believers with the Spirit of God with us. We are your hands and feet on this earth, Lord. Teach us to love one another and to fall down at the feet of Jesus and to cling to him for hope. In Jesus' name, amen.